there are areas that burn up different intensities. There's different fuel types in there. Monitoring the fire perimeter in the shoe swap, the danger is still ahead for firefighters as more evacuation orders are rescinded. Plus, yeah, I think it'll be a good experience, you know, be surrounded like living around all my peers and whatnot. Thousands prepare for the new school year, the move in day excitement as others learn firsthand about BC's rental crisis. And then, oh, there's the baby. Beautiful baby. It was, it was amazing. Baby on board, the remarkable story of a baby delivery inside a Nanaimo cab. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. More and more communities and neighborhoods affected by devastating wildfires in the southern interior last month are now being allowed back home this weekend. That's as weather conditions allow local firefighters and firefighting personnel from around the world to make more headway against the flames, particularly in the shoe swap. Cassidy Mosconi has the latest. In the Adams Complex, wildfires relief as dozens of residents got the green light to return to their homes at Rossmore Creek, Bush Creek East and Sorrento. Conditions on the fire ground holding steady thanks to the efforts of firefighting personnel like Rolf and Graham. I guess the first challenge is uh, getting over the jet lag. The firefighting operation is essentially very similar to what we do in Australia. They're a long way from home, but for these two Aussie firefighters, working in British Columbia is just another day on the job. We take home the best bits of what uh, uh, BC are doing, uh, and I think they bring back the best bits of what we're doing. The pair are part of Australia's largest ever contingent of firefighting personnel deployed to help battle Canada's worst wildfire season on record. They're our eyes in the sky. The helicopter coordinator um, comes up with the strategies and tactics uh, with operations to ensure that the, the bucketing is going in the right place, that the, the pilots are all safe and the aircraft are all operating together, um, and uh, supporting the ground crews to make sure that we're, we're being effective. There's a lot of expectation. Uh, you've got to be very flexible in what you do. You've got to be very nimble. Uh, and as I said, you've just got to have a really good eye for fire behaviour as well as really important predicting what's going to happen and where the fire might move in the next little period of time. BC Wildfire Service says it's working hard to get everyone back home. There are massive challenges out there yet. There are many roads that still need to have danger trees removed. Still lots of work for BC Hydro to do. And, um, you know, it's going to take some time here for recovery. Progress, but the firefight not over yet. We're not going away anytime soon. Um, we're not going to be finished this work until the last person has helped. Cassidy Mosconi, Global News. In the central Okanagan, residents of more than 400 properties remain under evacuation order due to the McDougal Creek fire, now more than 13,700 hectares, and is still considered out of control. In Lake Country, a sense of relief for residents after a fire forced many from their homes was deemed held. As Victoria Famia reports, the disaster has left its mark on structures and the landscape. I was talking to uh, one of our deputy fire chiefs a couple of days ago, and they're thinking about the houses they lost, not the ones they saved. 
Thousands of homes saved when a fire burned through Lake Country two weeks ago, but the three structures lost were heavily felt by the community. Three structures completely, completely gone. Um, one of them a part-time cabin, um, still very valued by the owner and, and valued by the community. It was a kind of an iconic little old cabin, been there for years. And BC Wildfire Service confirmed Friday the fire is now considered held, making it one of the two fires in the central Okanagan that are under control. But some areas in Lake Country are still under evacuation alert, including the hardest hit ones. Obviously the fire was big along Tyndall Road and up to Chase Soat, but in terms of loss, uh, Okanagan Center was definitely the place where, uh, where where we lost the most structures. The next concern, the city's landscape. The basic plant life will come back. It'll come back pretty quick. Uh, you know, if you look through that firefighting area there, you know, it's a lot of surface grass that's burnt and that'll be taken over pretty quickly, but big trees will not. Sites like the one seen all around me, like the blackened grounds, the burnt trees are going to be very common all across the central Okanagan following all the wildfires. But here in Lake Country, Marin Council are already finding ways to restore those burnt areas. We're going to have to look at planting trees. Um, we're going to have to look at planting those kind of trees that are not as conducive to fire as what was there before. You know, those big pines, they burn pretty quickly and pretty easily. So, yeah, we'll have to be very fire smart in how we restore the landscape. Following a hectic two weeks, whether it was fighting the fire or being evacuated because of it, the mayor says some community relief is on the way. Well, it's going to take a while for everybody to process things, but for sure we're stepping back. We're, we're looking to hold a, a big community function for everybody. Victoria Famia, Global News, Lake Country. BC Wildfire is anticipating increased fire behavior on a number of fires burning in the Northwest and Prince George Fire Centers this weekend. One of the largest fires in the region is the Little Blue, Little Blue River Fire just south of the BC-Yukon border. Wind caused the fire to grow and cross Highway 37. Crews are there and will be cleaning up debris near the road. The fire is now mapped at more than 41,000 hectares. Looking across the province, crews are still busy this long weekend trying to contain hundreds of wildfires. As of this afternoon, there are more than 430 active fires. At least 20 of them sparked within the last 24 hours. 14 of them are considered wildfires of note, meaning they're highly visible or pose a threat to public safety. And nearly 200 of them are considered out of control. Staffing shortages remain a challenging issue for BC ferries sailing this long weekend. A steady stream of traffic heading to and from Horseshoe Bay today. But the concern was that an evening sailing of the Queen of New Westminster between Tawasin and Swartz Bay was in jeopardy. BC ferries, though, managed to find a crew at the last minute for that round trip sailing. But some sailings between Saltry Bay and Earl's Cove today and tomorrow were cancelled because they couldn't find the required number of crew. 1,000 bookings were already cancelled this long weekend because the coastal renaissance had to be pulled from service for repairs. A Prince George City Councillor is pushing back against the provincial government's disappointment over the city's plans to clear a local encampment. The city says the decision was made after the situation in Millennium Park significantly deteriorated last month. It says increased density in the encampment has led to serious safety concerns which have affected emergency responders' ability to provide help to encampment residents. Housing Minister Ravi Kalon says his ministry 
ministry offered resources such as dedicated encampment response staff and the deployment of temporary housing units as part of a memorandum of understanding with the city. But he says the city has chosen not to access them. We need resources brought here to help the folks who are living and experiencing homelessness and uh, experiencing drug addiction and experiencing uh, all sorts of mental health issues in the downtown. We need those resources in our community. That's why we've so aggressively pursued partnership and, and uh, collaboration with the province and came to that MOU. And we need uh, action from that as well now. So absolutely, I'm optimistic that we'll continue to um, work with the province, uh, but we need them to step up on their jurisdictional opportunities and, and, and responsibilities, and we'll do the same on ours. The council is wrong because uh, if they check with staff, they'll know that our staff have been meeting with them every week, talking about locations, what's viable, uh, what is safe, uh, where is safe, expanding teams uh, that are, will be on the ground. All that work's been happening since June, since we signed the MOU. Uh, and to suggest that no work has been happening is uh, utterly false. Residents are being ordered to remove their property from the encampment by September 9th. A 42-year-old man has been charged in connection with a murder last month in Surrey. Officers were called to a home in the 19100 block of 68th Avenue last Sunday. The body of a 56-year-old man, later identified as Rob Memory, was found dead. Police say he had suffered injuries consistent with homicide. It's also alleged he had been killed three days earlier. A suspect was taking, taken into custody at the scene. Paul Martin of Surrey was charged yesterday with second-degree murder. A 69-year-old man is dead after a crash in Parksville. Oceanside RCMP say the crash happened at 4 p.m. Friday at Alberty Highway and Dunbar Way. The man was driving an SUV that collided with a garbage truck. He died at the scene. The driver of the garbage truck wasn't seriously injured. The initial investigation shows the driver of the SUV veered into the oncoming lane and crashed head-on into the truck. Anyone with information is asked to call RCMP. A pedestrian has died after being hit by a driver in Saanich. It happened just before 9 last night on Interurban Road near Grange Road. Police say the 55-year-old woman was crossing in the marked crosswalk when she was hit. She died at the scene. The driver remained on scene. The investigation is still underway, but speed and impairment are not considered to be factors. A 22-year-old man has life-threatening injuries after losing control of his motorcycle and veering off-road in Saanich. Officers say it happened just before 11 p.m. near the intersection of Tillicum Road and Gorge Road West. Preliminary reports suggest speed was a factor in the crash. No one else was injured. Saanich police are asking any witnesses or anyone who may have dash cam footage to call them. The Labor Day long weekend for many families is a chance to plan for the start of a new school term. And for some post-secondary students, they managed to win the lottery housing sweepstakes, moving on to into oncoming on-campus residents, rather, knowing how lucky they are in the midst of an affordable housing crisis. Paul Johnson reports. For those lucky enough to experience it, Move-in day at university is one of those landmark memories for a lifetime. Yeah, I'm really excited to be moving in here to UBC and hanging out with everyone and starting a new life, a new adventure. It's just so exciting. And these days, adventure may be an understatement. For every 
effervescent undergrad you see here on the Labor Day weekend move-in frenzy. There are countless others who didn't win the campus residence lottery and will be getting another kind of education in BC's merciless housing market. What are students doing? Well, uh, the situation with student housing right now and housing in general is awful for students uh, because they can't find housing that is actually affordable and close to campus for them. Uh, many domestic students, they're choosing to live at home because that is the only option for them and they can't fi find housing that actually fits their needs. Manpreet Kaur worries particularly about international students who are acutely vulnerable to landlord scams and abuse. It says there's nothing like housing insecurity to make students lose focus on their studies. It's coveted. It, um, you know, this is a housing crisis that we're facing in the Lower Mainland and really across Canada. I th I've talked to my peers and other universities they are facing the same thing. UBC has added more than 5,000 beds in recent years and has plans to add several thousand more. All good, but still certainly going to fall short of demand. There was a little bit of a worry, but I ended up getting in, so that worry went away really quickly. Across town at SFU, Kristen Turner told us getting lucky on the housing list was really her only hope to live close to classes. My options were to stay at home. Like, I don't really have the funds to be renting around the area, so I would have had to transit from good old Maple Ridge. <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with good old Maple Ridge, but that just doesn't compete with that first taste of freedom in a campus dorm. Um, I don't know, like meeting people and also living on my own. You know, I'm an independent woman, so we'll see. <laughs> Paul Johnson, Global News. Coming up, the return of Langley's Pro Rodeo, the new attractions hoping to boost attendance as animal rights activists protest its use of animals. Plus. The end of boozy beaches, or is it? What's next for Vancouver's pilot project allowing drinking at beaches? Stay with us. Hundreds jammed into a corner of Langley Township today to catch the second annual Valley West Stampede. It claims to be better and more community-oriented than a regular rodeo, but a small group of animal rights protesters disagree. Julia Foy went to see what was kicking up all the dust. It was a show for those that love horses. That brings in the best cowboys and cowgirls, all riding for North America under the pro circuit. Oh yeah, come get some. It was a place to ride the grill. We got ribs, chicken, cold pork, beef brisket, our smoky pit beans and our apple cider coleslaw. It was a place for anyone who loves western riding or roping. It was hard. It took me three tries. But at Langley Township's second annual Valley West Stampede, it's the big ticket items like bareback riding and bull riding that bring in the big bucks for organizers and the riders themselves. There's the one they all want. They love that bull. We've sold lots of tickets online. I don't have the exact numbers, but it was going up regularly every day, especially this week. We're getting lots of community support. I think uh, huge word of mouth. The bareback and bull riding events also caught the attention of a small group of animal rights protesters who gathered outside the event. So here today we're expressing our opposition to the use of animals for entertainment 
We think that it's uh, morally unjustifiable to be using animals in these ways. And they are not alone. A new research company poll shows a majority of Canadians think animal rights are important. It started at 34 uh, percent, so roughly one third of a, a Canadians saying that they uh, we're okay with using animals in rodeos, and now we're down to 24 percent. How about the Canadian champion, British Columbia Gallery? Organizers of the Valley West Stampede say things have changed in recent years. We don't have any roping events at this rodeo. All of our events here are strictly riding events. The three-day event has expanded to include more music and alcohol and food vendors to keep the public entertained long after the riding is done for the day. Julia Foy, Global News. It's been a summer of legal drinking on Vancouver's beaches, but that comes to an end this weekend. The three-month pilot project has allowed people to drink alcohol at seven beaches as part of a test on responsible consumption. City staff say they will look at feedback from the public as well as staff who maintain the beaches for safety and cleanliness to determine how to move forward. People we spoke to say they hope it continues. I think it should still stay a thing as long as everyone is like sensible and cleaning up after themselves and acting responsible. Yeah, definitely. And keep the glass away from the beaches as well. As long as it's like plastic, no harm to anybody. And yeah, just being reasonable, sensible. People follow the rules and don't make a mess on the beach and disturb other people, then why not? Keep it going. To be honest, I kind of liked it. I don't think that it like, changed too much of the scenery at all. People were respectful about it. Uh, I've been around this whole summer, and I, I wish it would continue. After the beach pilot project ends, people can continue to bring and consume alcohol in certain areas of 31 parks from 11 a.m. to 9 p.m. But just after the break, relief in the Northwest Territories. Tens of thousands of Yellowknife residents set to return home after fire forced them out. The operational challenges still ahead. Plus. I'm like, you don't need a cab. I'm like, you need an ambulance. A miracle baby delivery on Vancouver Island. The unforgettable cab ride for one family and their driver. After days of anxious waiting, Yellowknife residents will soon be able to head back home after crews have successfully pushed back wildfires from impacting the capital of the Northwest Territories. Mackenzie Gray has more on the return back to Yellowknife and how the wildfire situation is impacting the rest of the territory. It's been the worst wildfire year in Canadian history that's caused extensive damage across the country and temporarily displaced tens of thousands. But for some folks in the Northwest Territories, it looks like they'll be able to head home soon. Wednesday, September 6th at noon is our um, official general public uh, welcome home. Ahead of Yellowknife's 20,000 residents being able to head back home, essential workers will come back to the town starting on Monday to make sure key services are up and running. But the mayor is warning it'll take some time before it's operating at full capacity. For example, if you need dialysis, if you're later in your pregnancy, chemotherapy, there's a number of services that won't be available. Yellowknife was essentially shut down August 16th when residents of the territorial capital and surrounding communities were told to get out. At the time, the fire looked almost certain to impact the city, but crews were able to hold it back. No infrastructure, no buildings at all uh, have been touched by the fires to the best of our knowledge. 
That's Bill Braden. He's lived in Yellowknife for 60 years, but had to pick up and head to Banff when the evacuation notice came into place, along with his wife, daughters, and grandkids. The group of 10 in total has kept a positive attitude. Okay, let's make the best of this. We're calling it an evacuation. We're, we're very, very fortunate to, to have uh, family and friends who can help us out. The situation across Great Slave Lake and Hay River is more precarious. Strong winds continue to challenge firefighters who've been able to hold the flames just 1.5 kilometers from the town center. Every time the fire worked to make an advance, we were able to pound it back uh, with our aircraft, which were finally able to fly as much as we wanted them to under better visibility. The firefighters and aircraft should get some assistance tomorrow as 15 millimeters of rain is forecasted to hit Hay River. Mackenzie Gray, Global News. Ottawa. Today marks 25 years since Swiss Air Flight 111 crashed off of Peggy's Cove, Nova Scotia, killing all 229 passengers and crew. The flight from New York to Geneva, Switzerland, was diverted to Halifax after an electrical fire feeling filled the plane with smoke. It was dumping fuel when the jet crashed into the ocean. An investigation found the fire started when a corroded wire ignited a flammable insulation covering the aircraft ceiling. A memorial will be held on Sunday at the Swiss Air Memorial near Peggy's Cove. A taxi driver in Nanaimo got more than he bargained for when he picked up a family headed for the hospital. They didn't make it to their destination. Instead, the taxi ended up on the side of the road as a baby was delivered in the back seat. Travis Prasad has the story. In his 10 years as a yellow cab driver in Nanaimo, Ron thought he'd seen it all until Thursday around 1 a.m. when he picked up a couple expecting a baby. I'm like, oh, she was prego, and they're like, yeah, she's prego. And once they sat in, and that's when she started screaming, and then, then I knew it was like, oh, okay, she's like, doesn't need a cab, she needs an ambulance. Ron, who only wants his first name used, says the couple insisted he take them to the hospital. But after driving for five minutes with the expectant mother writhing in pain, he pulled over and called for an ambulance. Over the phone, the operator guided him and the couple through the labor. They told her <laughs> to push, and I was like, no, don't push. Because <laughs> I, I wanted the paramedics to get there, because like, I'm not going to catch this baby. A few minutes later, paramedics arrived and took over. Ron started recording the experience on his phone while comforting the mom. Your baby is coming. Everything is going to be okay. And not long after that... Oh, there's the baby. Oh, it's okay. Oh. A healthy baby girl born in the cab just 20 minutes after the couple got in. An experience Ron describes as magical. It was like I chose him by God, I guess, to see somebody, a human being, come into the world for the first time and take their first breath. It was, it was amazing. Ron says the backseat birth is a first for his employer. His co-workers have given him a new nickname. They called me Doctor. <laughs> After all, childbirth is not the type of delivery cab drivers are known for making. This is another one for the books. Travis Prasad, Global News. Incredible story. Well, still to come, pouring one out for Jimmy Buffett. Remembering the American singer behind the hit song Margaritaville, the life and legacy of the man who monetized the beach bum lifestyle. Stay with us. You're watching Global BC.
A celebration of Japanese art and culture is underway this weekend in Burnaby. Nikkei Matsuri, Matsuri being the Japanese word for festival, is the core fundraising event for the Nikkei National Museum and Cultural Center. Throughout the weekend, people can try Japanese food, learn about Japanese-Canadian community organizations, check out performances and more. Organizers say events like these help the community stay connected to Japan. Without going to Japan, you can experience Japan or Japanese culture. So you can even try wearing a yukata, which is a summer kimono. Also at the same time, I think everybody gathered together is a community spirit, so which is really important and fun. The festival continues tomorrow from 11 to 7 at the Nikkei National Museum. With wildfires continuing to burn throughout western and northern Canada, Environment Canada has issued a number of air quality statements for Edmonton. This morning, Edmontonians woke up to a thick haze of smoke and strong fire smell as the air quality index hit 10 plus by noon. Doctors urging those who are vulnerable, such as senior, seniors and young children and those who have pre-existing lung conditions, to take extra precautions and limit their exposure to the smoke. If you have to be outside, wearing a mask would probably be a helpful um, intervention just so that you can harness that filtering potential um, of the, the mask. Air quality did improve throughout the day, but officials warn with wildfires being unpredictable, tracking the smoke becomes challenging. And Steph Florian joins us now. Steph, uh, no smoke here, but we are going to see that weather turn maybe, hey? Yeah, we were lucky today as far as smoky skies. We had clear skies and above seasonal temperatures for much of the province. Here's a look at today's high. So many areas saw above seasonal temperatures. It was a hot one with this upper ridge. But uh, the hot spot was lit at 33.1 degrees. That was the hot spot today for BC. Let's take a look now at the winds. There's your peak winds from today. We've had these special weather statements in place for northern sections of the province. More widespread gusts today, but into tomorrow evening, we are potentially going to see those winds gust to 60 kilometers per hour. So special weather statements are still in place for Fort Nelson and the BCPs, expecting those winds to pick up through the afternoon. Air quality statements are still in place. And there's a look at the current air quality health index. Quinell currently in that red zone, which is a 10 plus, but Prince George, Fort St. John, all in that moderate, even central Fraser Valley, uh, Kamloops and Williams Lake as well in the moderate zone right now. We've been seeing it shift around all day today. Let's take a look at your smoke forecast. You can see these winds pushing that smoke easterly and we are going to be seeing a little bit of a shift with some of that moving in through central BC into your day tomorrow. So changes on the way. We've got a huge drop in temperatures compared to what we've been seeing. So smoke is moving around and we've got a chance of seeing some of those showers and isolated thunderstorms into your day tomorrow. So that comes as early as through the overnight tonight for certain areas. Could be seeing some thunderstorm activity for southern BC for the Columbia Kootenai region as well. So that times out for your day tomorrow, but potentially through the overnight tonight. Temperatures taking a nosedive. We've got localized smoke for Prince George and Quinell. Chance of thunderstorms for Fort St. John and Fort Nelson, along with those 
gusty winds. Winds are picking up for the entire southern half of the province as well. So we'll see gusty conditions in through the afternoon. You can see those thunderstorm activity there in and around the Columbia Kootenai region, but otherwise showers, mostly cloudy skies with that chance of showers. We'll start off with mostly clouds, and then we do have that risk for the next several days, and we're hovering right around that 20 degree mark. So a little bit below seasonal. We dry out with uh, some nice conditions as we get into Thursday and Friday. Back to you. All right, thanks, Steph. We'll check back in a little bit later. Well, the world has lost another legendary singer and songwriter this weekend as Jimmy Buffett, the man behind the song and the business model, Margaritaville, died Friday night. As Reggie Cicchini reports, Jimmy Buffett lived what he sang about, a beach bum lifestyle that paid off in spades. It was his signature song about a signature cocktail best enjoyed on the beach in the sun that elevated Jimmy Buffett to icon status. His yacht rock sound helped to counter the so-called yuppie culture of the 70s. But it was 1977's Margaritaville that gave the idea of what the low-key loafer life felt like and would become the key ingredient to a lifestyle far from it. I mean, I've had a wonderful, lucky career. One song kickstarted a billion-dollar empire with more than two dozen namesake restaurants around the world, along with casinos, resorts, and hotels. A place for so-called parrot heads to not quite waste away, rather embody the escapist ethos. It's all about fun and friends. Born on Christmas Day on the Mississippi coast, James William Buffett made money busking on the streets of New Orleans. He battled a bout of depression until his first hit gave him hope. Only a few years later, he'd find his lost shaker of salt in the Florida Keys. Strange things happen, but I'm, I'm glad, as I said, it's been a pretty good song. <laughs> With 43 albums under his floral shirts, it's this tune that was inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame in 2016 and led to a campy and panned Broadway show in 2018. I've always been a fan of musical theater since I would go with my mom. His health had been failing in recent months, with his family saying he died surrounded by friends, music, and dogs, and that he lived his life like a song till the very last breath. With a legacy that will last long after the party, he once said he was the life of. Reggie Chikini, Global News. Mm, I've been to Margaritaville you a few have, times. Yeah. <laughs> Heavy hearts and today. Few, yeah, yeah, uh, but Parrothead yeah. sad today for sure. But what an incredible legacy, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, sports today, busy yeah. day. Uh, White Caps continuing their long road trip there in New York City. Uh, they were in Portland last week, so they've li literally gone across North America looking for their third straight win, and they almost pulled it off, but still a good result. We'll have highlights of that here from Vanny after the game, and the Lions are on the field right now in uh, Montreal. Very close game late in the fourth quarter against the Alouettes, so highlights of that coming up, too. Awesome. Well, I know you're keeping an eye on that. Okay, mm -hmm. well, still ahead, auto thefts on the rise. The premium some insurers are now tacking on, and what vehicles are most at risk? Ten years of headlines, ten years of stories, ten years of being there when BC needs us most. 
10 years of around-the-clock breaking news. 10 years of BC1. Shocking rise in auto thefts has prompted some insurers to add a hefty surcharge to the most commonly stolen vehicles. And Gaviola explains how you can avoid paying more than you need to and what's driving this trend. The number of vehicle thefts has exploded since 2020 at an alarming rate, according to insurance experts. It's the national crisis. Ontario and Quebec are being hit the hardest, largely because of their proximity to the eastern ports. The Insurance Bureau of Canada tells Global News there was a billion dollars worth of losses last year, and that's only counting insured vehicles, $700 million in Ontario alone. Vehicles became a hot commodity in the early pandemic years when supply chains were snarled and computer chips, a key component in many new makes, were hard to come by. Auto thieves target push-to-start vehicles, which are easier to drive away with. SUVs and pickup trucks are go-tos, usually shipped overseas, sometimes stripped for parts. This is not a victimless crime. This is, uh, this is organized crime. It's uh, significant. And uh, the problem of, of funding organized crime and terrorism is really what uh, is, is very concerning. Topping the list are the Honda CRV, Lexus RX, and Ford F-150 series. Comprehensive insurance premiums on these commonly stolen cars soared between 25 and 50 percent in the past two years. The premium surcharge can be as much as $500 depending on the vehicle, but there are ways to get around that premium increase by installing an anti-theft device like a steering wheel lock or getting a tracking device. Insurance experts say there are recommendations that you can take to avoid being targeted. Be proactive uh, in terms of avoiding having your car stolen. Keep it parked in a well-lit area. Keep contents outside of your vehicle. And don't be afraid to switch to another insurance provider if the price is right. There's only a few insurance companies that are surcharging right now, and so it might be in your best interest to shop around. Anne Gaviola, Global News, Toronto. Coming up, the Whitecaps look for a win in New York City. Barry DeLay has more on their grueling road trip schedule. Plus, the BC Lions trying to rebound in Montreal after losing the cat fight last week. From the stories that affect us all, to a look at what's happening right now around us. When BC needs to connect, BC turns to the source that brings us together. Global News. when rivals become teammates at the Labour Cup. Don't miss your chance to see six of the best men's tennis players from Europe take on six of their counterparts from the rest of the world over three days of intense team competition. Visit LaborCup.com for more information. Don't miss Lionel Richie coming to Rogers Arena. His 2023 sing-a-song All Night Long tour includes very special guest Earth, Wind & Fire on September 12th. Tickets are on sale now. For Our BC, I'm Yvonne Schell. In partnership with Labour Cup, it's tennis like you've never seen it before. September 22nd through the 24th at Rogers Arena in Vancouver. Details at LaborCup.com. Barry DeLay is in now with sports. And Barry, uh, the Whitecaps had a pretty rough 
road trip schedule. <laughs> yeah, they've got some frequent flyer miles. If <laughs> Vanny gives it to them, maybe he takes it all. But yeah, they've been they've been uh, crossing the uh, continent for sure. Thanks, Krista. The uh, Whitecaps played like road kill earlier in the season. Now they're road warriors. Vancouver's daunting seven-game road trip was always going to be a key point in the season, but not many saw them with these kinds of results through their first three road matches after wins in Portland and Chicago. The Caps got another result in the Big Apple today, drawing New York City FC one all to give them seven of a possible nine points on the road this week. That's pretty good. Yohei Takaoka had the shutout the other night in Chicago. Almost a disastrous start for the Japanese keeper. Misplays the ball back and nearly puts it into his own goal. That was close, but at least he can have a laugh about it because it didn't go in. 36th minute, New York City with a great chance. It's Andres Jason with a wide open net. But he skies it over the top of the crossbar. Fortunate break for the Caps, still scoreless at halftime. But early second half, NYC do get on the board. It's a nice ball through for Monsef Bakrar. He slips it through the legs of Takaoka and New York City have the lead 1-0. This game, game being played at Yankee Stadium, by the way. Interesting. But just two minutes later, Caps on the attack. Ryan Gold dragged down in the box. A penalty awarded. Gold has a perfect record from the spot as a white cap, and he keeps it intact. Now 10 for 10 in all competitions. That's his 10th MLS goal as well, and it's 1-1. New York trying to regain the lead, but Takaoka is going to come up with a strong save here to punch that one away. It remains 1-1, 86th minute. Gold with a perfect through ball for Sergio Cordova, but he is stopped point blank by NYC keeper Matt Freeze. Now, the offside flag went up, but the replay showed it was actually onside. That goal would have counted, but it ends 1-1 as the Caps take seven of nine points on the road. That's going to give us the, uh, I would say, confidence and conviction that, that, that we... We, we can do it even again. Now we have another four games uh, and we can raise the bar uh, trying to make uh, uh, maybe one or two more wins on the road and try to get points everywhere. And in order to really arrive in the last four games where we are with our destiny in our hands. It's a tough week when you, when you include all the travel and changing the time zones and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, it's our job. So... Um, we've all got to, you know, take it on the chin and, and deal with it. I think the boys have done extremely well. They have at that. For the first time this year, the Lions seem to lack that swagger they had in the first half of the season. Losing three of four games will do that to you. But they had a chance to right the ship tonight in Montreal, taking on an Alouettes team that is a solid second in the East. Lions are starting to lose touch with first place Winnipeg in the West, but two points tonight would help that cause. Vernon Adams Jr. back in Montreal where he played parts of five seasons for the Alouettes. First quarter, decide to go for it. Third and five, and it pays off. Adams to Justin McInnes for the first down. Keeps the drive alive. They missed a few of those third down gambles last week. Lions are always more dangerous when Vernon Adams Jr. uses his feet. Pulls this one down. Scampers 18 yards for another first down to the Montreal five. And then on the next play, a nice play call here as Adams Jr. completes to Alexander Hollins. Wide open in the end zone. Fifth receiving TD of the season for Hollins. 7-6. Lions after the first quarter. Late second quarter, Lions are second and long, but Adams Jr. is, uh, looks like he kind of throws up a prayer here, but Hollins somehow catches it between two Alouette defenders. Actually went right through the arms 
of the Alouette's defensive back. The Lions will take it. A 62-yard score, 17-6. Vernon Adams with 175 yards passing and the two touchdown passes, 17-12 at half. But Montreal takes the lead in the third. Cody Fajardo to Austin Mack, who makes a fantastic diving grab in the end zone. Alouette's first touchdown of the game to go along with four field goals. They're up 18-17. Now, the Alouettes looking for more, but this time, Sione Tuhima sacks Cody Fajardo. Al's only got a rouge out of it, so their lead now just 19-17. And then the Lions offense gets back on track. A 70-yard touchdown drive capped by this 17-yard strike from Adams to Keon Hatcher. Lions back up top, 24-19. But on the opening play of the fourth, William Stanback will burst through the line, and then the big man takes off. Good speed for a 220-pounder. 69-yard gallop for the touchdown. Alouette's uh, back on top, but Sean White has just kicked a field goal. 27-25 Lions, late fourth. U.S. Open tennis from New York. No Canadians left in singles, but Montreal's Leila Fernandez and her partner Taylor Townsend of the U.S., definitely a contender in women's doubles. Match point here, Leila with a running backhand winner down the line, and Fernandez and Townsend are moving on to the third round in women's doubles. Toronto's Gabby, Gabby Dabrowski is also in the third round in women's doubles. Meanwhile, men's top seed Carlos Alcaraz of Spain, who's the defending champ at the U.S. Open, taking on Britain's Daniel Evans. Alcaraz, who's only 20, showing off his ridiculous athleticism. Evans running him side to side, but Alcaraz never out of it. How about that running forehand pass down the line? An incredible shot. He wins in four sets, and Alcarez is off to the fourth round. <laughs> Evans cannot believe it. That's what happens against the number one player in the world at the U.S. Open. And we got some English Premiership today. Defending champs Manchester City home to Fulham. Tied 1-1 in the first half. Stoppage time, but off the corner kick, it's Nathan Aki with the header that sneaks inside the far post. 2-1 Man City at halftime. In the second half was the Erling Holland show. The big Norwegian showing his quality. Slots at home with the left foot here to make it 3-1. He added a penalty spot kick goal, and then why not? Complete the hat trick with another beauty in stoppage time. Steps into it and thumps it home. He's already got six goals in four matches for Man City. They are 4-0 first place after the 5-1 thrashing of Fulham. And we'll finish with some baseball. Jays and Rockies from Denver. Toronto needing to take advantage of a weak schedule the next couple of series. Rockies are dead last in the National League. Top first. Jays already with two two-out RBIs. How about another one? Santiago Espinal scores two. Varsho out at third, but the Jays put up four in the first. And then Kevin Kiermaier getting a hold of one in that thin Rocky Mountain air. That one just keeps going. 438-foot blast. 5-0 Jays, but no lead is safe in Colorado. It's 5-4 Toronto in the fifth. And that is it for sports. All right, then. Well, do you like charcuterie? Do I like charcuterie? Well, if it includes salami, <laughs> cheese, and pickles, and yes. And a little wine, too, yes, right? Yes, and of a little bit of wine, of course, yeah. <laughs> okay, well, stay tuned. We're going to head to White Rock to meet the folks attempting the world record for the longest charcuterie board. That's quite a start. From protecting small business gems to outing big business bullies, if it matters to consumers, it matters to investigative reporter Andrua. Consumer Matters with Andrua on Global News. Well, it was quite the sight in White Rock today as a tasty world record was shattered.
Okay, and where better to break the record than on Canada's longest pier? The nearly 500-foot-long board was put together by Sheila's Catering Company, beating the current Guinness World Record of 204 feet. A professional falconer was also on hand with a team of falcons to deter hungry seagulls from trying to get a snack. It's a really incredible feeling just seeing everybody here having a great time, enjoying our spread. Um, our, our Guinness adjudicator has been a part of a few records, and she said that just what she's seen here is, is incredible. It just uh, really feels good. I mean, we're in the hospitality industry, and uh, we want to provide hospitality. 1,200 people bought tickets to try the record-breaking charcuterie, and proceeds will go to sourcing food banks. They <laughs> mean business, hiring a, a falcon yeah, to come well, by. Yeah, the seagulls know, and they respect the falcons, <laughs> I believe. They know good food when they <laughs> yeah. see they it, do. especially oh, yeah. when it's that long, yeah. 485 Amazing. feet. Something yeah. like that. That's perfect incredible. spot, perfect weather. Mm -hmm. And it was great weather today to check it out. We're going to see a real yeah. drop in temperatures, though, as we get into tomorrow. Risk of showers for the next several days. We're coasting at that 20 degree mark. We'll see some sunshine and drier conditions as we get into Thursday. Some hope, though. I like that sunny uh, Just a chance of showers all yeah. week. Yeah. And we're just hovering around 20. And thanks so much for watching. That's all the time we have. Have a good night. Good night. Good night.